3: It's a no-no! Long on and miss! Ball
4: game over! Dogpile alert in 3, 2, 1.
3: The best in college sports.
4: This is College Sports Now. Your inside look at the biggest games from around the nation. Here's your host, Kyle Schasberger. When we last left you, it was opening week, meaning no games had been played. Now, we're on the doorstep of college baseball's third weekend. Week 2 gave us some big boys showdowns. No more impressive then Florida sweep of Miami and Coral Gables, and no individual performance more perfect than Duke's Bryce Jarvis. I know I speak for producer Michael Serber, and you, the listener, we cannot wait to see what this upcoming weekend has to deliver. Serbs and I are stoked to be back with you on CSM. We've got a loaded show that includes conversations with Cal State Fullerton head coach Rick Vanderhoek. Titans took two of three from then-17th-ranked Stanford to begin the season and are determined to get back to the NCAA tournament after their insane 27-year streak ended a season ago. And then Jeff Cardozo, the baseball voice of the top-ranked Florida Gators, is coming up later in the pod. But I think we should begin in Phoenix. Serbs, two of the nation's premier hitters in Nick Gonzalez and Spencer Torkelson went toe-to-toe last night in the desert. They went a combined 0 for 4 with 7 walk. Seven walks, anticlimactic, I would say, to say the least. Nick Gonzalez with eight home runs to this point to lead the country. Torkelson has four, but neither were pitched to.
2: You hate to see it, but that is almost to be expected. When you have two guys like that that you know are going to punish you, if you go right at them, you just don't go right at them. I mean, it's the right strategy. And a lot of times when you, you know, in games like this, that's what you're going to see, especially early in the season.
4: And that came on Tuesday night where these two men in a midweek game, New Mexico State, Nick Gonzalez, last year's batting champion with a 432 average, also a projected top five pick, much like Spencer Torkelson, who in many college baseball circles, uh, at least everywhere I've seen, he's considered to be the projected number one overall draft selection come June. Torko was walked five times, five times yeah. himself in the game. Now, the record for a single game in college baseball history is six. That has happened 11 times previously. I'm surprised it's happened that much. But Torque was one off of that mark uh, five times. He walked against New Mexico State. He's averaging 1.63 walks per game. Looked up some of these numbers just for context. Uh, 1.5 per game is the... Record for college baseball in terms of walks, walks per game. That's 112 total. Kobe Kerlin of Texas in 1985. I don't know if Spencer Torkelson is going to walk 100 times. He's on pace for more than 70, close to 80 at this point through the year. But man, that is a guy that, uh, if he's not going to be pitched to, I don't know how deep into the tournament. Arizona State, who just made a return last season, they're looking to, you know, have sort of a resurgence into the college baseball postseason, looking to get back to Omaha. I don't know if they can get back to Omaha if Torque's not going to see these kind of pitches.
2: Well, here's the thing. It's early in the season, one. Two, it's it's a strategy that works when it's the right time to do it, right? So if everyone is going to continue to do that, game in, game out, they're not going to pitch to them, they're going to put them on base, they're going to make you pay eventually. Like you know, there's, there's other guys on the team and they can hit baseballs. They're, you know, they're on scholarship to do so. Um, so I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a good strategy. Don't let him see anything that he's going to take yard, but you know, you're not gonna be able to do that all the time. And eventually you're going to get burned and teams are going to start getting burned. And then that strategy is going to, you know, fade away a little bit. He's always going to be a guy that in crucial situations, you got, you know, if you got a guy on and, you're up by one, probably walk him. Um, but there's going to come some times when it's just like, listen, we've we've got our we've got gas on the mound, and we're going to have to pitch to this guy.
4: And after Torkelson was walked for the fifth time in Tuesday night, 6-5, 10-inning win over New Mexico State. Another walk brought in the winning run. So the Sun Devils come out on top in that midweek battle. Again, Gonzalez for New Mexico State. He hit for the cycle in the series sweeping win over Iona this past Sunday. That was an 18-4 win. He had two homers uh, in that particular game on Sunday. Again, eight for him to lead the country through two full weeks on the season. Other notables from the midweek, at least as we look at Tuesday night. More games coming on Wednesday night. We'll preview the slate with our take me out to the ball game segment before we get off with you following our interviews with Rick Vanderhoek and Jeff Cardozo. But on Tuesday, Texas Southern, how about this one? You hate to see it, Server. Texas Southern shocks Mississippi State eight to four in the midweek, taking down the six-ranked Bulldogs. That's gonna sting for Mississippi State as it. As we look at the RPI, at least later in the year, and Mississippi State took two of three from Oregon State over the weekend who came down to the dude.
2: Listen, do you hear that? Just listen. That's the silence of no cowbells. (laughs) I I hate to see it. SEC, got to do better. It just means more. But, you know, it's early in the season. These midweek games are weird. It doesn't, uh, this doesn't derail anything for them. But what it does do is it puts other people on notice who have Texas Southern on the schedule that they they can do stuff.
4: Dallas Baptist also dropped a midweek game. Hard to get up for those, uh, especially considering you took two of three over the weekend at North Carolina in Chapel Hill after losing the opener. Uh, they had taken uh, the final two games of that series. Patriots starter Dominic Hamill took a no-no into the eighth in the rubber game on Sunday. Uh, they crushed uh, were crushed 9 nothing in Chapel Hill in game one, came back, and Dallas Baptist and the Patriots, still a strong start to the year. They'll look to reset as they get ready for the weekend. And Jack Leiter, one of my new favorite players, I'll give you my favorite player in college baseball here shortly through two weeks, but Jack Leiter, five innings of one hit ball over Evansville Tuesday night in Nashville. He had four strikeouts, so uh, mildly impressive, uh, but his first outing, five innings, 12 Ks. A week ago in his freshman debut.
2: Jack Leiter immediately makes it onto the all-name team, too. Like, the dude was born to play baseball.
4: Absolutely. Jack Leiter, let's no, go. No question. You know what? He looks to be... We know what Kumar Rocker became last year, but he struggled early in the season for the eventual national champion Vanderbilt Commodores. Uh, but Leiter here early on, just he has got more polish. Yeah, he what, does.
2: What do you know? Vandy has options on the mound. <laughs> well, who who to thunk?
4: You know, uh... Pitching you, pitching you. Here's the thing though. Leiter has this 12-6 curveball, this, this knee breaker. That's just insane. You know, The pitching ninja was putting on some videos on social media here this week of, of Leiter's break on that and just how he's able to switch speeds. It's a different change of pace compared to a Kumar Rocker who has that wipeout slider. He really sure. only has two pitches that he's going to use. He's going to throw a smoke, and then he's going to wipe you out with the slider. And Kumar has been impressive through the first couple of weeks of the season. But Jack Leiter, how long before he moves into the weekend rotation, we'll have to see. It'd be hard to imagine him not becoming at least a Sunday guy uh, come the middle of SEC play.
2: But let's, let's check the breaks just a second Pump the though, because every year freshmen hit that wall, right? Like you're going from playing 25 to 30 times in high school to playing, you know, a much longer season, uh, especially if you make a run in the regionals and super regionals. So yes, he started off very well. Let's see how he's, let's see how he's faring mid-March when it kind of starts to, st- starts to like pile up on him a little bit. He gets a, he gets some SEC play under his belt, you know? So uh, the, the, you always have a few freshmen that come out and wow you and you're like, whoa, is this guy a Friday night starter already? Um, but let's, let's see if he hits that wall. If he doesn't hit that wall though, look out. Vandy is coming again.
4: Vanderbilt, one of those teams that uh, has lived up kind of the expectation here as preseason number one or number two, depending on the polls that you're looking at. They dropped two games that opening weekend in Scottsdale, uh, including a contest in Michigan in that opener. Michigan, by the way, talking about overreacting here earlier in the year. (laughs) Baseball America, I'm going to put them on blast. They moved Michigan all the way up to number one after that opening weekend. And then Michigan lost three of four to UConn, including in Scottsdale. And then on the opposite end of the country this past weekend against the Huskies, in uh, St. Port Lucie, the yeah. home of the bats, the yeah. spring training home. It's I little, mean, come on, what is going on? It's
2: a little early, a little early for, for uh, to throw Michigan up there. It's still hockey season, Um but we'll see, you know, Big Ten. I, I'm I, honestly not as well versed in Big Ten baseball. Um It's an interesting cat to me because it's like, okay, it's February. You're in the, you're in the Midwest. You're very, you know, you're in one of the northernmost parts of the country. So, um yeah, uh interesting to see what Michigan does this year. F- fascinating run last year all the way to the College World Series. Um but yeah, maybe a bit early to call them number 1.
4: We'll tie Big 10 baseball into some of the games we're looking at this weekend, but we'll do so after we touch on Bryce Jarvis and what he had done in the second weekend of college baseball. In case you missed it, we sure did. And Bryce Jarvis was perfect for the Blue Devils in last Friday's opener against Cornell.
0: Jarvis has only been to a three-ball count one time this afternoon. It was in the fifth inning. Ready with a 2-2 pitch. Here it comes. Strike three called. It's a perfect night for Bryce Jarvis. A perfect game for the Blue Devils. Jarvis is mobbed at the pitcher's mound. And Duke completes a perfect game shutout of Cornell. 8-0. Oh, sweet mercy. Jarvis strikes out 15.
4: And a perfect game Dominating effort from the Blue Devil Junior. Unbelievable. Chris Edwards on the Blue Devil Sports Network. Give credit where credit is due. That was the program's first ever perfect game. 31st perfect game in NCAA history. Jake Coochmaner of ECU had one last March. How about this, though? Not just Jarvis. This has been an entire Total Terrian effort here from the Blue Devils uh, pitching staff. They're ERA through eight games in the season. Blue Devils are 7-1. and one. Duke pitchers, an ERA of 0.
2: .86. Things have changed in Durham. Like, a couple of years ago, Duke was the punching bag for the ACC. It was like, okay, we know we've got, we know we can win this series. Like, no matter who you are, you're going to beat Duke. Um, not the case anymore. Like, that program has grown leaps and bounds. Uh... And perfect games are awesome. I don't care if it's college baseball, if it's the World Frickin' Series. Like, throwing a perfect game is really hard and really awesome.
4: How about Chris Edwards, though? He calls a perfect game, and then in Duke's super regional contest with Vanderbilt last year, he got to call a 20-strikeout game. Yeah. A no-hitter. Yeah. For uh, For the opponent, for Kumar Rocker. Right. The aforementioned Kumar Rocker, but man. What a life for Chris, Chris Edwards. Hey, those, games, the
2: those games move, too, from a broadcaster perspective. Like, you, you get a, a strong performance on the mound like that. That game gets in and just under, like, two and a half. That's a sweet spot. Man,
4: I'm jelly. I'm jelly. I'm going to try and meet up with Chris Edwards soon. I'll have to talk to him Thanks. about that. Uh, by the way, the Blue Devils are moving on uh, to Minneapolis. So we have the Big Ten ACC Challenge, which, server, you've already kind of teased this. Uh, Big Ten baseball, you know, you're not able to play outside, at sure. least until middle of March, maybe even April in most cases. But uh, it's going to be played at the home of the Minnesota Vikings this weekend. How about that? Transforming a football field into a baseball facility. This is the same venue that's hosted – Uh, A Super Bowl now, uh, March Madness in the final four. And uh, yeah, we're going to have baseball inside there.
2: Yeah, keep your eyes uh, out for fly balls and and birds that are just like, you know, let's end it.
4: Now, my understanding is uh, uh, anti-deflectant or bird resistant glass, has been uh, upgraded to that facility since it was first okay, built. All right. uh, but yeah, that is the ACC Big Ten Challenge. It's on the horizon for the Blue Devils uh, this weekend in Minneapolis. Other notes that uh, just for you to chew on uh, through two weeks, Wake Forest was swept at Long Beach State. Uh, Long Beach State had a 6-2 midweek win Tuesday night over San Diego. The Dirtbags, one of the best nicknames in college baseball, off to a strong start out of the Big West. Central Florida, UCF, I beg your pardon, sweeps Auburn on the plains. Uh, So the Tigers take one on the chin and Tulane out of the American. Speaking of UCF, how about Tulane? 6-1 6-1 and one are the Green Wave after they took 2-3 or three from Cal State Fullerton. Uh, Pelican Cup series begins in the midweek on Wednesday night with New Orleans. Great way to start. Mardi Gras, Green Wave, uh, proving they're for for real here early on, taking the rubber game in 13 innings, too, against Cal State Fullerton. Last Sunday, 4-hour and 46-minute game. We were just talking about Ugh. games moving quickly. Uh, that one, not so much. Tulane may have found an ace, though, and Braden Olthoff, who tossed complete game 3-hitter with 16 Ks and a one nothing win on Friday night round rock classic uh, another premier early season tournament that's been put on the books Texas Tech Tennessee Stanford and Houston Tennessee went 3 and 0 including a 6-2 win against Texas Tech who had scored 65 runs in the first four games of the year Volunteers held them at bay though. They're now eight and oh. They got a Wednesday game coming up with UNC Asheville. How about the Volunteers? Stanford miserable starts of the year. One and seven now. Uh two of those losses coming to Cal State Fullerton open the season. Houston is two and four. Uh, UConn then winning three or four from Michigan. We touched on this already. Uh, so there's been so many things that have already happened two weeks into the season. We last came to you, uh, to start the year before opening night, before the opening weekend, um, There's a lot to catch up on, as you can see. We're happy to be here with you. There's one thing we would be remiss, though, not to provide you with when it comes to content. The things that we churn out inside this content factory that is college sports now. And that is the Kenny Powers of college baseball. The 2-2 pitch. Swung on, high fly ball, center field. On the run is Schultz. He's at the wall, reaches up. It's gone! Solo shot,
3: another Baker bomb. Straight away, center field, where Servideo popped one
4: out yesterday. Center fielder Schultz gave it a chance, got to the wall, but ran out of room. And we're tied at 1-1. They call him DK. That's David Kellum on the Ole Miss Sports Network. In midseason form, already balancing base, baseball and basketball. His name is Cal Baker, though. He is the reigning Juco Player of the Year, 260 pounds. The dude is a mammoth. He barely can fit into his uniform, and he's chugging around the bases. no, oh,
2: no, 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 no. He fits into that
4: uniform. He, oh, he fits... <laughs> He fits very nicely. He fits perfectly into the uniform. uniform, The uniform fits him uh, to a T, especially when they wear the Powder Blues. He's got the hair swaying out of the back of the helmet, a little bit of the goatee, you know, the little Foo Man going on the bottom (laughs) of the chin. (laughs) Uh, It is tremendous. Uh, This dude is massive. He's got four home runs on the season. I'll tell you what, though. This, this Ole Miss baseball team has been fun to watch to this point. Anthony Servideo, who had three home runs this past weekend against Xavier, giving him more home runs than all of last season. He's got the bleach blonde hair, the attitude, the swagger, playing short. This team is doing between-the-leg dunks. Um, they're in the midfield when they're ending games against Louisville, throwing out a runner, uh, at second base. Impressively, they took two or three from the top-ranked Cardinals. They are rolling. They've now won seven in a row after a win over Southern Miss in the midweek. And that was Hayden Leatherwood, uh, with a blast, that was the difference. After delivering a walk-off home run against Xavier this past Sunday, so the last two times that Hayden Leatherwood has picked up a bat for the Rebels, he has homered. Ole Miss, extremely impressive. Uh, I expect them to continue to shoot up the polls, especially if they do well in the Greenville uh, series coming up at the campus of ECU this coming weekend. More home runs for Ole Miss than Xavier hits this past weekend, eight to five. And Anthony Servidio, Cale Baker, uh, among those that have helped to key the Rebels in this early season surge. All right, coming up, the first of two interviews, Jeff Cardozo, the voice of the Florida Gators, uh, baseball squad as we put the top-ranked team of the country under the microscope then, Rick Vanderhook, the head coach of Cal State Fullerton, a team steadfast on making a return to the NCAA tournament. The voice of Florida baseball, Jeff Cardozo. He's on Twitter at Jeff Cardozo UF. He was a Florida pitcher, 1998, 99, 2003 year letter winner. Uh, Jeff, before we get to the baseball, what the Gators were able to do this past weekend against Miami. They've got Stenson in the midweek tonight after a washout on Tuesday, and then Troy this weekend. I've got to ask you about this spectacular grab that I heard about that you had earlier this year. Was it the opening series from the booth? You were able to snare a baseball?
1: Yeah, <laughs> opening series and a long time to come Great, great to be on with you as well. Um, you know, I think the the way the booth at the, the Mac is, it, it sits somewhat low. So it's a great perspective. We're right behind home plate, but it's, it's bad trying to get foul balls because the net goes up pretty high. So normally the trajectory has to be like just extremely perfect. So, it, it's either way up over our heads, hitting off the top of the press box, bouncing back, all that kind of stuff. So we had just mentioned it opening weekend. I said, you know, this might be the you know, it's the final year in the Mac. I think we're finally going to get one. And, you know, two innings later, it, it starts coming our way. And I actually stuck the left hand out and sort of closed my eyes, I guess, and came right into the hand. And uh, it was fun because it, uh, it was Sunday of opening weekend. There, there wasn't a ton of people left because we were blowing them out, but, Everybody stood up had a good time slowly over in the dugout like pointed at me and gave a little smile so it was a it was a good way to kick off the uh, the final season finally getting one after about 15 years
4: Yeah, that's awesome. A pitcher at heart, but still showing the ability, uh, those cat-like reflexes to act in the booth. Uh, This Florida team, Jeff, 8-0, they actually have done something that they've never done in the Kevin Sullivan era, which is you know spectacular to think of that they're still accomplishing first-time things. But uh, 8-0 for only the fifth time in school history coming off a sweep of the Hurricanes. And and I want to go back to Friday night. You were there at the light in Coral Gables and Tommy Mace against Brian Van Bell and what a matchup between aces for both teams and and like every weekend the first game is going to set the tone for the entire series but man it's not often that you get that high level of baseball this early in the year especially between two non-conference opponents mind you big time rivals
1: yeah, and, you know, I think uh, a lot of people may not like that that type of environment or just a, a pitching duel. But you know, obviously, being a pitcher, like you love that stuff where every pitch just meant something. Like you're right on the edge of your seat as a fan, as a broadcaster, obviously in the dugout as a player. And these, these guys just keep making pitch after pitch back and forth, and it was sensational to watch. And you know, I think the the point you make up is great because normally early on in the season, you don't see things like that. It's not. A lot of teams are not ready for conference yet, and just guys aren't ready. So to be able to go out and see that dominance by both guys, I think we felt going in that it was going to be that way, that, that good pitching was going to prevail, and, and both of those teams had some really good arms. But it, it it answered a lot of questions, because I think when you look around the, the rest of the SEC, as, as you know, just, there's a stud every single Friday night. And there's probably, in, in four of his opponents this year, I think seven or eight guys that will be picked in the first round from from Friday night pitching. So for, for Mace to match that, and that was the question going in, you know, hey, Tommy was a Friday night guy last year, but he finished with an average over five, and that's just not going to cut it. That's not a, a Brady Singer or a Logan Shore or just some of these guys, a Hudson Randall over the years that have been that dominant guy. And I think Mace sort of solidified that he can be that guy. He's already got the right mentality. The, the makeup's great. He had he little breaking ball, worked on his changeup in the off season, So he kind of fine-tuned a couple of those off-speed pitches. And he was really, really good. He was lights out. He was 93, 94 the majority of the night and, and still had it going in the fifth and sixth innings. So it, it was special. And if he can be that guy that, that gets you off to a great start on Friday night, and then kind of 1B, as, as I call it, and Sully calls it the same thing. You got 1A, 1B, and Leftwich does his thing. It's a, it's a pretty tough 1-2 uh, punch to kick off any kind of weekend.
4: May had eight strikeouts in seven innings, scattered two hits, two walks, 85 pitches, and Van Bell... On the other side, seven innings, nine Ks, four hits, and one walk in 83 pitches. Just uh, incredible action on Friday night. Both Friday and Saturday went to extra innings, and then Florida polishing off the sweep on Sunday. Jacob Young was the hero in the 11th inning on Friday night with the RBI double. Uh, How do you explain, though, Kevin Sullivan's success against Miami, Jeff? I mean, that's 15 of 18 now. He's 34 and 13 overall. That's his fourth sweep of the Hurricanes and six straight series win.
1: I just, I, I smile when you sit there and talk about it, because I, I think you, you look at the, the history of these two programs, obviously Miami had their dominance, 80s, 90s, all that stuff. And heck, when, when I was playing in the 90s, it was always back and forth. Like we would go down to Coral Gables and we'd just get our brains beat in. Like they were really good at home, but then come back up to Gainesville, we'd probably have their number and, and do some really good things. So to, to watch him be able to go down to Coral Gables in that environment, it was sold out all three games, I mean, I've never seen people hawking tickets, before a game, and they're going for 75, 80 bucks on StubHub, and all these guys are out there selling tickets. So it was it was awesome to see. So you know the fans were jacked up, but Sully just knows knows how to I guess it go go against them, and and it's been fun to watch. And you know I think the the neatest part is like I don't know if anybody ever thought that Sully would be able to go into Miami, obviously win, but just get recruits and players. And I know his mindset 13 years ago was, hey, South Florida is a very rich area. I've got to be able to go into Miami, Fort Lauderdale, do some different things. So he went down there. He sold his message. Obviously, we know how great of a pitching coach he is, and and people started buying into it. So he's been able to go into South Florida, get a bunch of guys that normally would just filter right to the hurricane, bring them to games, and then they go down there like the the kid that closed off the game on Sunday, Ryan Kabarkis, this little lefty Miami kid, and you know, probably grew up being a Hurricane guy and then comes and beats a Hurricane. So that, that's been neat, but he's just – they've done a really good job of being able to just figure out what Miami's strengths are and go against it. And and this year you saw them shift a lot more. I think that's part of the uh, the, the new coaching stage and all the, the, the good stuff with video now that I think we're going to see that throughout the entire season. But Miami's big bat, Terrell, hit him to shift three times on Friday night. The Gators just did such a great job. So they, they scout him really well. And, obviously, they, they show up to play, and, and it means a lot because a lot of these guys that, that go to Florida know these guys from, from summer ball and travel ball and everything else, and it just it, it means a lot. So not only Miami, but Florida State's been the same thing. Soli's been able to, to really do some good things. And, Kyle, okay, this this number's phenomenal. You mentioned the, the success against Miami, but the last 35 times that Florida has played either Florida State or Miami, Florida's 31-4. and four against the uh, the other two powerhouses oh, so it's yeah. just it's incredible to think about what he's been able to do
4: yeah, O'Sullivan dominant, uh, winning 10 straight against FSU in that series. You got am coming up on March 10th in a midweek game. Uh, you've outscored the Knolls 70-26 in those last 10 wins, too. So uh, I'm with you, Jeff. I'm in lockstep there on the research. Those two teams uh, O'Sullivan has just been uh, extraordinary against. What, what though, is the difference uh, from last year? I know we're early. We're only a couple of weeks into the season. But uh, is it simply just experience here, uh, the reason behind this 8 no star for the Gators?
1: Yeah, I think that's a little bit of it, but I, to, to be honest with you, I just like we we always talk about that word "it," whether we're broadcasters, players, whatever it might be, and you don't really know what it means. But I think you just you see it, and there's a feeling, and I think that's what we saw from from these guys. There's there's something special about them. They they get along really well with each other, so that's good. But there's just there's a want, there's an intensity, there's a swag that they didn't have last year, and, and I really feel because we had gone to Omaha four straight years. And then, of course, last year's team doesn't make it. They bow out in a regional. I think there were some guys on that team that just expected to go to Omaha every year. Like, you've got Florida written across your chest. This is the way it's supposed to be. So when they didn't go, there's there's a little want to them now saying, oh, oh crap. Like, we, we didn't have the type of year that we were supposed to have. We obviously have to, to play better. We've got to have a different mindset. And I really think throughout the summer and, and the fall, you could really sense that and you've got a good mix of older guys and some freshmen and of course you had a lot of freshmen last year that had significant playing time that that are now sophomores and you make that good jump from freshman to sophomore year I just think they get it more I, I don't think they understood what college baseball was all about um you know I, I don't know if it's, it's soft is the right word but they didn't have that edge to them and I think you saw with the the three games down in Miami they were they were talking a little smack they were having some fun they were enjoying what it was and i think you have to have a little of that in order to be successful because every year we, we see all these teams are good to omaha and certainly what mississippi state was able to do last year I look at that team and you know kind of the swag that they had i think that's what florida needed to get back to and through eight games here early on they certainly have that
4: how many years of eligibility does austin Langworthy have feels like he's been like a 10-year player at this point
1: It's it's insane. This is finally it. Um, I I called it 18. I think at the beginning part of the year, he's back in the starting lineup. You know, and he's going to be a big part of this year's team. He actually didn't start on Sunday. He was really struggling down in Miami the first couple of games. So Sully sat him. And if you look at his history over the now four years he's been here, he's gotten off to a really really slow start. But then by the time April and May rolls around, he's he's really good. He finishes hitting about 280, 300 somewhere in there. So if he can get off to a good start, that's just going to make this Florida team better. So I just I hope that he can start to figure it out, and maybe that, that day off on Sunday just has him sit back and, and relax a little bit and just maybe not try to press and, and do too much and inevitably be the guy that we know he's going to be at the end of the year.
4: He's a lot like Jonathan India or or some of those other guys from previous years who just feel like they've been a part of Florida baseball uh, since birth. You know, you know those names. They're synonymous synonymous with the program. Uh, Complete this sentence for me, Jeff. Florida returns to Omaha. You already spoke about the it factor, but uh, they go for a fifth time in six seasons and 13th overall if.
1: If if the bullpen can figure it out. I I think when you look at last year's team, it was awful it was actually the worst run average that Sully's had in, in 13 years even the, the the bad team he inherited his first year he was, wasn't able to uh to be that bad so he just he, he needs to get out and, and you look at probably four or five guys that have done really well so far that were some of those freshmen I mentioned that are now sophomores this year so I think those guys will start to figure it out you really have to solidify a closer on the back end too they brought in the JUCO guy or, or grad transfer that's hopefully going to be that guy at the, and, and Trey Vanderweed at the end, but they've got another freshman that's still on 97, 98, which is just completely insane. Um, he would have come in the, the Miami game, if so chose to stay with a freshman for matchup purposes, lefty-righty stuff. Um, and it's just it's just the unknown. If, but if those guys can be good, I think Mason Lefferts are going to be really good, and then and now looks like the freshman Hunter Barco is going to be the Sunday guy, which he's, he's phenomenal too. So I think the starters are going to be okay, but, you gotta be able to get big outs in the, the sixth, seventh, eighth innings and if Florida can do that, I think certainly they have the offense to be able to get out.
4: He's the radio voice for the Florida Gators. You can follow uh, the Gators on WRUF out of Gainesville, 98.1 and 8.50. You can also listen from 4 to 6 to the tailgate with Jeff Cardozo and Jeff Dooley. Cardozo does great work for the Gators Sports Network from Learfield IMG College uh, for football, too, hosting pregame and postgame. No midweek game uh, last night, as mentioned, for the Gators with Florida a and as that was washed out. you got a game on the schedule tonight. Uh, how's the weather looking against Stetson? That one's for DeLand. Uh, before Troy comes to the Mac this weekend, but too, Jeff, from what I understand, uh, Kevin O'Sullivan uh, is not going to be present if that game does take place tonight.
1: Yeah, a little, little interesting, and, and I hope they uh, end up postponing it if if they think the rain's coming and the way they look at the radar. So we don't have to have the uh, the two and a half hour bus ride over there. Although I could catch up on some movies on Netflix, so that's not maybe a bad thing. Oh yeah, <laughs> but oh. you know I the. It, Stetson's always, always tough. You know, they, they've actually, their coach is actually the coach that coached me in my first year of summer ball at, at uh, as a Florida Gator 20 years ago. So that guy's still beating it around and doing some good things. So it's always fun to go over and, and see him and, and be a part of that. They've actually got a former Gator that played that's on their staff too. So there's some close relationships, but yeah, for Sully, it's, um, you know, certainly a, a sad moment for him. He, uh, he's got a couple of cousins that are firefighters up in New York and, one of them actually passed away during 9-11. He was uh, trying to, uh, to to put out the blazes and didn't make it. And then his brother ended up passing away the other day from also from uh, re- related injuries to 9-11, you know, this many years later, 18, 19 years later. So he passed the other day, so he's, he's going to fly up to New York, be a part of the funeral services, expected to uh, to come back and, and be here for the Troy series. But it's, um, you know, I think uh, heavy hearts for him, certainly, and Cred Bell is going to take over and, and be the, the main guy today, but hopefully Florida can uh, can play for Sully if we uh, actually get this one in and go out and move to nine and zero.
4: Absolutely, Jeff. Appreciate you sharing that uh, with us. Florida Gators are eight and zero. He's Jeff Cardozo again. He's on Twitter. Follow him at Jeff Cardozo UF. Kyle, my pleasure, man. Take uh, take care. Have a great rest of the week. He's in his thirtieth season as part of the Cal State Fullerton program. Ninth as the head coach of the Titans. He is Rick Vanderhook. He dabbles a little bit in social media. Follow him on Twitter at Rick underscore Vanderhoek. And Cal State Fullerton enters this upcoming weekend at 3 and 5. And, Rick, give us a general feel for what your guys have shown to start this season. Zach Lou has been the anchor at the plate uh, with a three eighty two average or so. Taylor Bibby, 18 strikeouts and 14 innings pitched in a 1.26 ERA. Uh, what can you tell us about our team and the start that the Titans have had?
3: Well... Uh, we played some pretty good people so far. Um, you know, we opened up at the farm against Stanford and um, pitched really well, um, hit the ball okay. Um, then we went to San Diego State, and we had a really good two-lane team in here last weekend. Travis has... Um, um, Travis has done a good job at Tulane. I think those guys have their good club. They got good starting pitching and they're really offensive. And then we had SC last night and and we're just trying to find our heels on the offensive side. Um, and see what goes on. We we've got USF rolling in this weekend and then Arizona state two midweeks next week. And then we go to Austin and play Texas. So, um, you know, our, our young guys are, are kind of getting fed their lunch a little bit, and it's good. You got to get humbled uh, to be good in this game. You nobody wins every game, and it kind of develops a little bit of toughness and some grit in them.
4: We had Jeff Cardozo, who calls Florida Gator baseball games, and we talked about Miami and Florida and just how high level of a matchup that was earlier in the year. And the same could be said for what your guys are facing early on with the schedule. I mean, it's fast and furious. This is some uh, productive stuff, though, when it comes to Big West Conference season. I mean, you guys are getting tested, having to face a little bit of adversity. I mean, I would have to think that's kind of the silver lining here as you navigate and try to find the offense and get the pitching together.
3: But it's been that way at Fullerton for a long time. Um, You know, I think of my 30 years, I think we've opened up against Stanford like 28 times. Um, And and so there's a lot of games uh, between Stanford and Fullerton on the opening season and the weekend uh, of the season. And like you said, we play in the big West. Um, You know, the big West is, is not a power five conference. So, if you want to have a good r p i and you want to do those things, you need to play good people and and find out what you have and then, in the middle, you kind of settle down and 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 then try to correct your bearings as you go that That has been the Fullerton way for a long time,
4: Rick, You mentioned how you know offensively you're still obviously looking to find that gear you had spoke earlier before the season had began. I'd read. You know look we got to find our offense only 20 home runs last year we want to shrink the field uh that we play on and 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 also from a pitching standpoint if you could just maybe kind of touch on the the challenges that you had to navigate a season ago where those pitchers that you had were primarily all freshmen and sophomores so they're a year older this season I did the math I think it was 78 percent of the innings that you had thrown all came from either freshmen or sophomores. So uh, again, this is a team that's a little bit more experience that you have here in 2020.
3: Well, on the mound, it is. Uh, we got a first year catcher, a first year, first baseman, a first year shortstop, uh, a first year, third baseman. Um, and then, you know, over the last week and a half, we've been playing two freshmen in the outfield. So, um, now it's their job. And so the pitchers are picking up the slack. Our guys just got to figure out how to manipulate a run here or there. Um, we're three and five, and we could easily be six and two if we just scored a couple runs. A couple runs, like three runs. And, and we've gotten in some spots where we could do that. Um, but the guys have got themselves out. And the more experience you get, you learn how to deal with that because they're going from high school to a high level of Division One baseball. And uh, only so many freshmen can do those things.
4: Guys get motivated by different things. And I'm just curious, the streak of 27 straight in the NCAA tournament, how much was this maybe a talking point or how often do you still maybe uh, look to instill that mentality, that chip on your shoulder type thing uh, with your team each and every day out?
3: And not much. It, 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 in long-term memory, the 91 team was the last team that didn't go to the postseason, and the 92 team uh, lost the game, national championship game. So, um, you know, they they had a couple guys. They had a guy named Phil Nevin who was a pretty good player that carried that team pretty good. Um, but in baseball, one guy can't carry a team. and it, it, It's a long road. And, you know, you got to get back on your feet. And, you know, the thing that they don't get is there's not a soft spot in the whole schedule. So, um, you know, for us, uh, the stupid head coach scheduled an exhibition game on Monday. So we played a game on Monday night. And last night was our fifth game in five days. And we played 13 innings on Sunday. So we played uh, quite a few innings as we go. And, it, you know, if you're going good, you're rolling it. Uh, but when you're not, then it gets a little um, humbling to you. And so right now we're in the process, and we're actually taking the whole day off today. No weights, no anything. I just told them to get away from baseball and not think about it.
4: For Big West Coach of the Year Awards, you've managed more than 30 MLB draft picks, got it. 20 All-Americans, 11 Big West Player of the Year Awards, does it ever get old, mentoring these young guys? No,
3: no, but you just get older. <laughs> you just get older. Hey, you know, come on. Uh, the guys that coach, we get to go to school every day, yeah. um, which, you know, when you're little, you think, oh, man, I don't want to go to school today. Um, but I'm sitting here in my office right now and trying to get some stuff figured out for tomorrow and, and go that way, and it, it's kind of nice. I throw on a pair of shorts and a T-shirt today, and I I don't need to see anybody. I just come into my office and sink my head into the computer.
4: I mentioned Florida earlier, a top-ranked team in the land. They're nearing the completion of a brand-new stadium in Gainesville. You're currently undergoing, from what I understand, a, a clubhouse renovation at Cal State Fullerton, softball and baseball. What kind of bells and whistles will be included that, that you can share, maybe the timetable and, and just how something like that – can impact the program when it comes to recruiting?
3: Well, um, up until, gosh, I don't even know. I think 1997, maybe eight, maybe nine, uh, they all blend in. We have never played a home regional game wow. uh, at Cal State Fullerton. I still think to this day we have more road with regional wins than any team in the country because we played on the road. And so, you know, we would go out, and that's part of the reason why our schedule is the way it is. We wanted to learn how to play in hostile environments. And, you know, we've been probably pretty much everywhere. Um, I've been to Florida, and and Sully does a good job there. And, you know, my first game as a coach was against his team that they thought was the 27 Yankees. And when we got done, they wanted me to compare that Florida team to the 1995 Cal State Fullerton team, um, which, you know, there's you can't compare generations and things. It's just not the same. But uh, we're putting in a $14 million uh, locker room and meeting rooms and video rooms and and just things that we don't have. We're actually going to have a locker room for coaches. Uh, which we've never had one of those. My office does close all over it because you get dressed (laughs) and undress in the locker room every day. Um, And and we're just trying to catch up a little bit uh, to the 21st century. And then they're going to take the building that we're in now and, and renovate it, redo it and make that a softball only facility. Um, And and I think it'll help. It's it's not going to hurt, but we don't want to, kids to come to Fullerton because we have a nice locker room or this and that. We wanted to come here because they want to play baseball and they want to play baseball at Fullerton.
4: They want to be a Titan. Rick, I'll I'll leave you on this. And I want to hit a topic that uh, doesn't affect your team necessarily this season, but can certainly impact the program and all of intercollegiate athletics. And and that's the conversation of the one-time transfer exemption that seems to picking up more steam in the last few weeks. Currently baseball joins football, men's and women's basketball. Men's hockey is the only five sports to not allow one-time transfers to become immediately eligible, uh, which actually is still relatively new in that phenomenon on the Diamonds since 08. But uh, Rick, what's your stance on allowing student-athletes to transfer one time without penalty?
3: Well, it used to be that way. It used to be that way. You know, it's going to cause some more grief because guys are going to get out on the waiver wire and uh, guys are going to recruit guys a little more in the summer and that's why they did away with it because I think that was good guys, you know, coaches would go to the Cape in the summer and from guys that were good at smaller schools, um, they would try to go recruit those guys. Uh, I'm pretty sure they'll put something in there. Um, that'll discourage that a little bit more. Um, but I I don't see a problem with it. You know, I mean, they do it in, in a lot of other sports, um, and I think it just, you know, it, it just broadens things for a thing. There, there has to be some stipulation where they just can't go recruit the kid. And um, there has to be a severe penalty when they do that. Because that'll it'll be open game. Sure. You got a guy at a smaller school, he's got a chance to go play, um, you know, at Florida or Florida State or you know, UCLA and, hey, you know, come here. Then you, uh, then you can do that, and, and it's just we'll see. Uh, let's by the time that roll gets rolling around, I think I'll be retired, so I'm not going to sweat it that much.
4: Well, I know uh, you're looking to get the Titans back to Omaha. You you certainly are well aware uh, of that track record. The last time you did make the tournament in '91. Uh, you played in the championship game the very next year. So that was something I was going to bring up, but you're, you're aware of that. We certainly wish you the best uh, as you take on the 2020 season. 18 appearances all-time in the College World Series, and the objective is to get back and win it all this season. Rick Vanderhoek, head coach at Cal State Fullerton. Rick, thank you so much. I know it's your off day. Appreciate you spending a few minutes with us.
3: Not a problem, guys. Hope it's an Austin leading. Now Moore swings and grounds it through the right side. That's a base hit past the diving second baseman, Marenko. Hope it scores 6-3.
4: Austin safe at third, just ahead of the throw. And Moore comes into second behind the play. Phil Elson on the Razorback Sports Network. That's Robert Moore, who had a massive, massive weekend series against Gonzaga. This dude went 8 of 12 at the plate. He had a double, a home run, nine ribbies, eight hits, four walks, two stolen bases, all led the Hogs. The dude is 17 years old. SEC Co-Offensive Player of the Week, third honor for the Hogs. But, man, we got to highlight this guy, 17, Serber.
2: Yeah, games uh, that go past 10 o'clock, he's unfortunately not able to participate in got a nine thirty bedtime um so I man. mean
4: unreal he, he a mid year enrollee and he's coming in for Dave van Horn and he's contributing it's, right from the get go that's
2: the thing it's like okay seventeen year old on the team that becomes in in a pinch no this guy is contributing he's uh he's a big part of what they're gonna do this year um yeah it's crazy uh baseball's an interesting game seventeen years old but yeah
4: certainly a name to to be on the lookout for as this season continues to move on we'll monitor Robert Boram what uh, uh, what the next amazing feat that this kid is able to to accomplish and how he's able to take his game uh, to the next level already contributing in a huge way uh, for the Razorbacks who by the way are undefeated here as we reach the midweek uh, in week with weekend number three uh, here on deck all right let's run through those games that we're keeping an eye on for the third full weekend of college baseball here in 2020. You got the Frisco tournament uh, coming out featuring UCLA, Texas A&M, Oklahoma State, and Illinois, the Houston tournament. uh, This is Texas, Baylor, Oklahoma, Arkansas, LSU, and Missouri. What's in common with all of those schools? Well, it's either Big 12 or SEC. So it's a Big 12 SEC showdown uh, in Houston. Ole Miss will take on ECU Saturday at 4.30. That's part of the Keith LeClaire Classic on the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville. Texas Tech and Florida State will be among the meetings in the Florida State Tournament in Tallahassee. Saturday, 6 o'clock Eastern Time is the scheduled start between the Red Raiders and the Seminoles, Mississippi State, after dropping the midweek game, six-ranked Bulldogs, again, impressive weekend, taking two of three from Oregon State. Game one, they trailed 2-0 before putting up a six-spot in the eighth inning. And in that Saturday contest, they had more than 12,000 people at the dude. More than 50,000 came out uh, the entire weekend to see the Oregon State-Mississippi State series, but they couldn't get up for Texas Southern, losing in the midweek and now having to go to a red-hot Long Beach State. So how about that? Mississippi State and Long Beach State meeting on the West Coast a Little uh, reminds me a little bit of what Wake Forest was doing, going to Long Beach State a weekend ago. Also Tulane going to Cal State. Fullerton, you're getting kind of these uh, continental uh, matchups, cross-country matchups, so that's going to be a lot of fun. Big West SEC showdown, and even Oregon State coming down to the dude and playing in Starkville this past weekend. College baseball needs that uh, to help the sport, Uh, so I think it's certainly a good move for those teams to agree uh, on those matchups. Boise State is going to have their home opener for the first time in 40 years. They took a 40-year break from baseball. They were swept by Texas. Texas, their opening weekend, which was the second weekend that just left us. Boise State's going to have their home opener against Northern Colorado at Memorial Stadium. So a round of applause for the Broncos. And no server, it is not Smurf Turf. Dang. How do you not have Smurf Turf at Memorial Stadium? Like somebody's going to make that change now.
2: That was uh, going to be the first question I asked. Is it a blue field?
4: And it's the first thing I did was Google Memorial Stadium and Boise State baseball returning, 40-year hiatus, all of these things, and the field is not even blue. It's green? It's green.
2: That's gonna look strange.
4: Like miss, missed opportunity. <laughs> it'll,
2: be, it'll be interesting to see if fans are kind of like thrown off. They're so used to watching stuff on a blue surface. They're like, eh, what is, Something doesn't look right.
4: Final series uh, to highlight for you. And Serbs, you've been closer to this the last few years, working closely with Georgia Baseball along their radio network, Georgia Tech and Georgia. Now, this has been a series typically that has been played in the midweek, mm-hmm. but they're going to alternate venues this weekend, playing first at Foley Field in Athens, then going to Atlanta before playing at Cool Ray Field in Lawrenceville.
2: It's awesome, man. Uh, South Carolina and Clemson been doing this for a while now. They play one in Clemson, one in Columbia, and then one at Fluor Field in Greensboro, or, uh, Greenville. excuse me. Uh, and so yeah, George George Tech finally doing that. I think it's great for the fans. Um, and uh, interesting that they're not playing at the big league park, because uh, in the past couple of years they have they have played at SunTrust, which I guess now is going to be called Truist.
4: Had a conversation around the office yesterday. I had no idea that. SunTrust, BB&T were bought out by some new company. Like, I bank with BB&T. What is going on? Why haven't I not been notified?
2: That's funny. My wife uh, banks with SunTrust, and I told her. And she was like, what? I found this I out like, yesterday. You should probably know. Yes. Um, yeah. Anyways, uh, yeah, so they won't be playing. Uh, they'll be playing in Lawrenceville, which is cool. Um, but I like the idea of moving, mo- keeping that series all in one weekend um, because it loses a little bit of intensity, honestly, f- to me. If you're spreading it out over a month or a month and a half or something like that, it's like, okay. if you you played Georgia Tech two, three weeks ago, nobody really remembers that you split the first two. And it's kind of like the intensity is not really there for a rubber match. Right. Whereas if it's all in one weekend, everything's fresh. If you wind up with a rubber match or a chance to sweep on Sunday. Tempers
4: are going to flare. Things are going to boil over. You're going to have more storylines develop. Yeah. It's it's better
2: for the rivalry,
4: all in all. So this is a move that I was happy to see uh, that they made this year. Uh, By the way, the smack talking that was going on for Miami and Florida, oh my goodness, that Cardozo commented on. Give me a microphone (laughs) and give me access to that channel. I will pay. Give yeah. me pay-per-view access. Hey, I want to listen to these guys just go at each other.
2: We're looking at UACC Network. We're looking at you, Network. Let's get some mics on Georgia, the Georgia, Georgia
4: Tech, come on. Let Let's me go, get in, baby. All right, finally, before we close, a note on Gary Gilmore, the 62-year-old and 25th-year head coach of Coastal Carolina, announced after a win over UC- UNCG opening weekend. He's got a form of liver cancer. He's towards the top of a waiting list for treatment at a Houston Cancer Center and will continue to coach the Chanticleers until he's able. Of course, he was a 2016 NCAA champion, leading Coastal Carolina. He's accumulated more than 1,200 wins. So certainly thinking of Gary Gilmore, things that are bigger than baseball, and that's not the only one. A wild coincidence, Billy Godwin, head coach of UNCG, suffered a mild stroke during that opening visit to Conway he's since returned though in fact came the very next weekend against Fairfield this past Saturday when you know it Spartans earned a double header sweep that included a combined no hitter in the first game how can you not be romantic about baseball
3: yeah
2: yeah the players getting up for uh to play for their guy man uh so thoughts and prayers with both of those coaches
4: as they uh as they progress That'll do it for us. We'll return in a couple of weeks as March Madness is set to pop off. In the meantime, please subscribe to College Sports Now wherever fine podcasts are served, including Apple, Google Play, Stitcher. And don't be afraid to leave a review, to Five stars only. Stephen Hartzell, Dave Odom, and Matt Norlander of your college basketball fix for the next handful of CSNs. And trust me, they'll get you right. For Jeff Carnozo and Rick Vanderhoek and Michael Server. I'm Kyle Schasperger. You can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Schas and follow the show takes a life of its own on the Twitter machine at CSNowTweets. You've been listening to College Sports Now.
3: Let's jump
2: into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play
0: sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.